have a question for you. Who is the shortest guy in the Bible? Who said Zacchaeus? Nope. You want to know who it is? It's Nehemiah. It's Nehemiah. You can, way to go, Steve. Way to go. Hey, um, you guys, kiddos, uh, Calvary kids, you guys are dismissed. Some of our kids are, are talking about Nehemiah, the shortest guy in the Bible today. Our other ones, our Zone 45 kids are talking about the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which is super, super exciting. Hey, um, my name is Josh Green. I'm the pastor here at Calvary Severance. And uh, if it's your first time here or you're fairly new, man, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you chose to be here to worship with us uh, this morning. It's an, it's an amazing thing, the church. There is nothing like the body of Christ. There's nothing like the local church. It's such a sweet thing. You think about what we do, uh, not only on Sunday mornings, but the community that we have as a local church. There's nothing like it anywhere. And, and it's such a great thing. Because here's the thing, and I love that we're walking through the book of Acts um, because we're learning what the local church is, what's the universal church, but also what is the local church and what God has called us to. God has called His people, His people, and He equips His people that He has called to Himself and redeemed by the blood of Jesus to go and impact the world. Now, here's the thing. This is not a passive thing. If you are a professing believer in Jesus Christ, this is not my rule, but this is God's word. You don't have an option to just sit in complacency. God calls us into action in many, many different ways to build his kingdom. And I love our church. I love our church so very much. I don't know if you guys know this, but about three weeks ago, we turned four. That's awesome. We've been meeting in a school for four years, setting up, tearing down, moving stuff around, improving things, tweaking things, pushing cabinets that fall apart to the back every week and rolling them back on the trailer and all this. And it's great. It's great. And I, I love an aspect of that, but we're we feel that God is moving us forward to impact our community. And part of that is, is what does God have for us in the future? As most of you guys know, some of you guys were out in the foyer, some were not in here, and I don't want this to go unnoticed, but we got, we got some really important things that we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks regarding who we are as a church and what God has planned for us. We've got a big meeting coming up, and our land team, they're going to talk about some options that we're looking at, and and we want your input on how we move forward with that. But here's the thing, too. It also calls for each and every one of us to commit. To commit to what God has us here in severance for the glory of his name and his kingdom. Now, I want you to know, and I'll say this till I am blue in the face. It is not about the name of Calvary Severance. I don't care what we're called, honestly, other than... People look at us and say, oh, those people love Jesus, and they love people. 
and collectively, God calls us into that to make much of his name. So, so here is my challenge to you. And, and we don't talk about this very much because, honestly, it's uncomfortable for me. But I want you guys to think about the future for us here. God has equipped you and called you. And you have, have resources and gifts and talents for us to be who God has called us to be. We're looking at purchasing uh, some land in the excess of a million dollars. I can't, this redneck can't fathom that. And, and when I sit and I think about it in, in our own power, I go, that's impossible. But I know this, that God, God's got all the money in the world. But I know this too, that he calls his people to commit for the glory of his name. So as we move forward, here's what I, just a simple thing that I ask you to do. I ask you to pray. And ask God to seek, for, for, to sift you and for you to seek what God has for you for the glory of his name. To give, to contribute, to labor. You see all these chairs? There are 11 rows, three sections, seven chairs in each section, in each row. You know how I know that? Just set them up every week. Maybe God's calling you to come and help set up chairs and tear things down and Maybe help in, in kids' ministry or on our worship team or, or get involved with the life group or men's Bible study or whatever that. Maybe God's calling you to grab a friend and grab coffee and go, man, let's just talk about life and pray together and wrestle with things together. Those are the things that God calls his church to do. So my challenge for you is just really pray because it's bigger than a checkbook. God's called us to impact our community, and beyond for the glory of his name. That's not an obligation. That is an honor. So that's my challenge to you as we move forward here. We are back in Acts, finally. If you guys would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. We're going to cover a chunk in Acts chapter 21. And, and here's the thing I'm, I'm really excited about um, today. It's kind of an obscure passage, but, but it's a good passage, and, and I'm just going to speak on the glory of God today. Here's another thing that I love the church so very much, is that um, I hope that you know that you can come here and you can find rest, partly because you are around people that dearly love you, probably experiencing some of the same things that you are experiencing wrestling with some of the same sin that you're wrestling with. But here's, here's the thing. Here's the beautiful thing about what we get to do here this morning. We get to rest. We get to rest in the glory of God. Because everything that we do here on a Sunday morning is planned around magnifying the glory of God. And in that, there's amazing rest. Now, I know that just about every one of us walked in here this morning carrying a load of junk that we've dealt with either over the past couple of days or weeks or months or even years. There are people hurting here. There are people wrestling with strife and sin and trouble and worry and doubt 
and angst and sorrow. Do not let those things win for just a little bit this morning. And instead, I pray that we wade into the waters of God's glory this morning and we find joy and rest because God's glory is greater than all of those things. All of them. All of them. That is where we find rest is in God's glory. That's where we're going this morning. Uh, I don't know if you guys know about a little over 500 years ago on October 31st. Anybody know what happened? Steve, you know what happened? October 31st, a little over 500 years ago. I know you know. The Reformation essentially began, right? Steve's my big Reformation guy, right? We talk about that quite often. And, and, and I love the Reformation because we are a Protestant church. What that means is we, there was a protest that happened, and it, it all spawned out of the glory of God, and, and this, this Latin word came out, came out of that. It's like a battle cry for, for Protestant churches, which we are, is this word sola. Alone is what that means, alone. Out of this Reformation some 500 years ago, this, this, there was five terms that just spawned out of that that we, we base all that we are as a New Testament church on, that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, by the word of God alone, through Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Sola Deo Gloria. That'll be on a t-shirt, right? It is. Sola Deo Gloria. It, it, this is the glory of God alone. Such a beautiful thing. And, and I think we don't talk about the glory of God enough. The Westminster Catechism, you've heard me say this numerous times before. And if I've given you a Bible, it's written in the cover of that Bible. It says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Words to live by. Your sole purpose in life, especially as a redeemed believer, is for the glory of God and to enjoy the glory of God. We see this evidence in Scripture in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Anybody know that one? You can read it. You can read it there. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. All for the glory of God. What this means is, is that the greatest, the greatest ambition that we could ever have, the greatest ambition, the greatest thing that we could ever be about in our lives of all things is to make much of God. Because here's the thing, when we do that, it infiltrates every aspect of our lives. It changes things. And we should glorify God. You know why? Because He is glorious. He is glorious. Let me, let me share some things about God that makes Him glorious. Here's some attributes that nothing else has but God. God is infinite. He, he is, he is self-existing. Always has been, always will be. Nothing is like God. He is all-sufficient. Nothing is, is sufficient as God. God is all sufficient. He is it. 
He is omnipotent, meaning he is all-powerful. Nothing is outside of his power. He is omniscient. He is, that means he is all-knowing. He knows all things. Nothing escapes him. He goes, oh, I didn't realize that. God never does that. He knows all things. He is omnipresent, means he is always everywhere. He's here with us this morning. He is immutable. He cannot be silenced. So much of our society today, and some Christians just get unhinged, that they're trying to silence God. They will never silence God. It's impossible. He is infinitely wise. Wisdom bounds in Him. He is just, meaning unchangingly right and good. Unchangingly right and good. He is merciful. Praise God for that. This is what this means. He is unchangingly compassionate. You can do nothing to thwart God's compassion for you. He is loving. Scripture tells us that God just doesn't love. He is love. And this last one, He is holy. He is holy. What this means is He is infinitely, unchangingly perfect. Nothing is like God. He is worthy for us to make much of Him because He is worthy all of that. He, is, he fulfills all of those things. But here's my question of the day. How is your life intentionally glorifying God? I don't know about you guys, but when I read that, that's a kick in the teeth for me. How is your life intentionally glorifying God? God, because here's the truth, and I'm going to say this a few times this morning. The glory of God automatically requires a life of humility from every redeemed believer. The glory of God demands it. It requires it. As we look at our text today, I want us to see just a few things about the life of Paul, where he lived a life intentionally glorifying God. Not perfect, but he lived a life a redeemed life to the glory of God. And we can learn a few things from that. We're back in Acts, and let me just kind of give you a quick summary of where we're at. Acts is the birth of the New Testament church. It's written by Luke, and you can read the Gospel of Luke and read right in to the book of Acts, and you can, you can just kind of follow the line where here's, here's the life of Jesus, the, death, burial, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and then this is Acts 2 in the book of Acts. We see where the church is born. God equips redeemed believers that he's called to himself to impact the world. They go and proclaim the gospel, and it is nothing but mission. Is the church is just a mission. This is what we do. We go and we share the gospel because people need to know the truth that we know. And God just miraculously equips his believers to do just that. It's the work of the church. Last time we were in Acts, last year, Justin covered the first part of Acts chapter 21. 
Paul has been on this missionary journey. He's traveling around. He's the OG church planter. He's planting churches everywhere and equipping believers. And he's encouraging. He's facing opposition here and there. And he's facing truth and, and, and knocking barriers down. And all of these things, all by the power of God. And we see last time that, that Justin talked about this in Acts 21, we see where Paul met with some believers in, in Caesarea and and there it was prophesied that Paul would, he would he's going to go to Jerusalem, but, but he's going to go and he's going to be bound there. And he's going to be handed over to the Gentiles. And, and he's there with these believers. And imagine how this conversation went. Where here's this prophet that comes to Paul and takes his belt off and ties him up. And he says, this is how Paul is going to be delivered over. He's going to be bound. This is not a good sign. What we look at of going, man, this ain't good. And they're saying, Paul, don't go. Don't go. If this is going to happen to you, don't go. And Paul says, what do you mean don't go? It's an amazing opportunity to share the gospel. Listen to what he says in Acts chapter 20. If you're in Acts 21, look back at verses 13 and 14. He says, then Paul answered, what are you doing? He goes, come on, guys, really? You're weeping and breaking my heart, for I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, he ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. And we see here where Paul, Paul sets off and he arrives in Jerusalem. And in our text today, he meets with James and the other elders there. And this is where we pick up where he's meeting with the believers there in Jerusalem. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to read our text this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for this this morning, we thank you that, that, that you have, have called our attention this morning to the glory of your name. And Father, my prayer today is that you would, you would allow us to rest in that glory, that we would see the goodness of your glory today, that you would allow us to, to find comfort in that. But Father, also I pray that you would convict us of where we have denied that and tried to rob it from you. So, Father, help us to be good stewards of your glory and help us to enjoy it and make much of you and help us to find rest in that. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 21, verses 17 through 26. You'll open your Bibles there. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the, on the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. I like that. See, Paul goes to Jerusalem, he meets with these guys, he goes, hey, let me tell you what the Lord's been doing. Amongst the Gentiles, these unwanted people. Let me tell you just how God has just done amazing things. And I love the reaction. They glorified God. We pick up in the second half of verse 20. It's where things change a little bit. And they say to him, you see, brother, how many, many thousands were, there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles, to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. 
Do, ther do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with, with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that, that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance to, of the law. But as for the Gentiles who believed, who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from, from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and, what has been, what is, and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the day, days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. This is God's Word. I want us to see a few things here in this. It's kind of a, a weird passage of Scripture. Paul goes to Jerusalem. He shares all of these things that's been going on. And then here are these brothers going, hey, Paul, we got a problem. There's some guys here that are they're speaking some untruth here. And we got an idea of how to maybe fix it. But here's, here's, here's some things, that are, just a couple of things I want us to see in this passage here this morning. And, and the first part comes out of the, the, just the first couple of verses that we read here this morning. And, and this is it, that God calls believers to a life of glory to Him and in Him. Paul arrives in Jerusalem, he meets with, with James, and he's received gladly, and he shares all of these neat things that what God is doing for the kingdom and when they hear it, they glorify God. And, and, and we have to remember that Paul had lived the last several years on mission to make Jesus known and glorified. Ever since he met Jesus and, and was saved, he lives this life of just striving to glorify God. But we have to remember before Paul, before Paul will live this life on mission, he was a different person. He was an enemy of God. He wasn't living a life that made much of Jesus. But you remember all of that changed on the road to Damascus. You know, Paul is this religious zealot. He, he's living this life that I have to earn God's favor, and I'm going to do all of these things, and I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to keep the law, and I'm going to, I'm going to be this really good person, and I'm going to be, uh, have this piety that I have, and, and I'm going to do all of these things, and I'm going to prove my worth to God. But in that, he was an enemy of God. Because the gospel is not a message of of you have to labor to earn God's favor. In fact, to think that we would earn and labor to earn God's favor is anti-gospel. What that means is that you can do it and not Jesus. And Paul is against the church because the church is about the gospel. And he's on his way to Damascus. He has letters in his hand. And he's going, man, I'm going to go round me up some Christians and I'm going to persecute them. He's on, his road, on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 when things change amazingly for Paul. He experiences the glory of God. Look at Acts chapter 9 verses 3 through 6. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Glory of God, right? That's what we picture. Glory of God shining all around him, right? And falling to the ground. 
Now, let me just stop here for just a second. Everywhere you see where the glory of God like that appears or people fall into the ground. The glory of God's pretty amazing, right? He falls to the ground. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And listen to his response. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Because listen to what Jesus tells him. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. This is an amazing experience here. In this moment, Jesus shows Paul his glory, brings his glory, just dumps it on him. And he brings him into it. He doesn't just show it to him. This is the beautiful thing that, that, Paul, that, God, that Jesus says, hey, Paul, I'm going to show you my glory. I'm going to bring you into it. This is what he does. He says, I'm going to bring you into it. I'm going to tell you what you are to do. He confronts Paul in his sin, and he calls him out of it and into a life of, of experiencing and enjoying God's glory. He's led into Damascus where God calls this guy named Ananias. Who's, who, he knows about Paul. He knows about him. This dude is, I mean, per, word had gotten around who, who Saul was then. This dude is, he's bad news for the church, man. He's got all this power, and he's rounding up Christians, and Ananias knows him, but God visits Ananias, and he tells him, he says, hey, I want you to go get this guy. And look at what, what God calls Paul into. See, Ananias hears this. And this is what the Lord tells Ananias, and he relays, I'm sure he relays this to Paul. In Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. But the Lord said to Ananias, said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And this began Paul's journey of a life dedicated to the glory of God. Don't you think of the things Paul experienced living a life sold out to God's glory? It was not easy, but man, it was amazing. He saw people radically transformed. He saw people healed physically, but also just transformed by the good news of the gospel. Transformed like he was. Saved and redeemed. He saw people forever changed by God's grace through his preaching and his teaching. He saw firsthand people forgiven and secured in the eternal arms of Christ. You know what I love so much about being a pastor? Is I love to hear those stories. Amy and I have had the opportunity over the past couple of weeks to meet with, with several folks, and, and I've asked every one of them the same question. Tell me how you came to know Jesus. I love that. That's a radical transformation. That's no small thing, and, and I think we do it a disservice by making it a small thing. It's an amazing thing that God does this. And here, what we see is Paul, he's, he's like got a front row seat. And I think about me and my, my position when I get to, to visit with people, and, and, and especially our baptisms last week, those three individuals, that's the question I asked them. Tell me about how you come to know Jesus. And, and I, got to, I get a front row seat to experiencing God's glory in their life, how he's radically transformed them. 
This is what Paul is seeing here too. And, and I think the same is, is for us as well. Now notice that Paul gives all the glory to Christ in our passage. And this is kind of a, a thing that Paul does. Even people like, hey, here's Paul, this great guy. No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just an old guy that's a sinner. It was a rebellion to Christ. But I met Jesus and you need to know him and give him the glory. All credit goes to Christ because Paul knows that it is not him that has the power, but it is Christ. It's Jesus. Therefore, all the glory goes to Jesus. Paul wrote about this to the Galatians in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and He gave His life for me. I don't know about you guys, but does that stir something up in you? When we understand the redemption of, of the gospel, it's the glory of God. And I would, I, would, I would argue this to the day I die or till Jesus comes back, that the greatest manifestation of God's glory is Christ Jesus and the cross and resurrection. It's the greatest manifestation of God's glory so far. Paul, he's good at giving God the glory. He's sold out to it. And he's called into it. And then he's called to live for it. Do you guys see that? I got two people. All right. I mean, are you guys with me? Okay. This is, this is the, if you are a Christian here this morning, I want you to just sit in this just for a moment. That it is the glory of God that, 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 that He has shown you and called you to. He says, come into this glory. Experience this glory. And then, then because you've experienced it, I want you to go and live for this glory. This is what we are to be about. Sole Deo Gloria, for the glory of God alone. Now, I want you to think about this. None of us are your Apostle Paul, are we? This OG missionary church planter. Now let me ask you this. Should your life as a redeemed follower of Jesus be much different than the Apostle Paul's? Here's the thing. Here's some similarities we have. We were at one time enemies of God, just like Paul. Romans 3, Ephesians 2. Go read those. Yet God met Paul, Saul, in his rebellion against him. And if you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus met you in your absolute rebellion of Him. He met you there. And He probably said something very similar. Maybe not the same words, but I'm sure the same conviction. Of, Why are you persecuting me? With words of deep compassion and love. And the glory of God shines around us in that moment. He meets us in our rebellion and confronts our sin. And He calls us out of darkness into this marvelous light like Paul. And God calls us in to live a life for His glory and in His glory. We're horrible at that. 
I think sometimes we just need this reminder that God has called us into His great glory and so much of it, we like just hanging out over here. And God says, do you see? Do you see this glory that I have for you if you just, just embrace and step into it? I've, called, I've shown it to you. Step into it and live out of it. Live for it. One of my favorite verses. This may surprise you. I have it tattooed on me. Ephesians 4.1. I therefore as a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul said those words. He says, I therefore, he's a prisoner of the Lord, meaning a good prisoner. He's been called into this. He's held captive, captive by the glory of God. This is what that's, this means, that, that Paul is held captive by the majesty of Christ. He says, it's a joy to be held captive by the gospel. And he says, this is, I urge you to walk. If you too have experienced this, I urge you to live your life. Walk means forward progression. It means it calls action for us. We need to do something. Walk in a manner worthy of God's glory. This is what he's saying here. Christian, consider the glory of God that he has brought you into. He's given us all things, returning to life through his glory. And we are to live for and in that glory. This is what we see here in Paul when he says, hey, walks into Jerusalem, knowing he's going to be bound, knowing this. And he goes, I got God's glory. What can top this? What could crush this? And he walks in and he shares with James and the elders going, man, let me tell you about the glory that I've seen of God at work. Shares this with him, what God has done through him for the Gentiles, and those believers give glory to God. So here's the thing God calls every believer to live for his glory and in his glory. And the thing is, the glory of God automatically requires a life of humility from every redeemed believer. And what that means is, is that we are not. We should not be the most important person to us. God should be the most important person to us. So here's the second thing I want to pull out of this here. See, the rest of our passage, we see something very interesting kind of play out. And it's a little bit confusing. I had to read over it and over it and over it going, what is going on here? But here's, here's kind of a summary of what's going on here. All of these, these brothers in Jerusalem, they're overjoyed at what Paul shares with them about what God has done through his ministry. They tell him, say, hey, we've got a problem. There's some opposition to God's glory that we need to share with you. And we're not, we kind of have an idea of how we need to address this. And this they share with him, they say, hey, although though many Jews have believed, these are Christian Jews, and, and, and they're still zealous for the law, not a problem. That is not a problem. Because here's the thing. They're not viewing this as a means of salvation. They still observed its feasts and vows and Sabbath regulations and, and these dietary restrictions. They still observe those things. There's nothing wrong with them. How they go about it is what makes it not wrong. Because here's the thing. For these believers, it was a way of life for them and having a new understanding of salvation by grace through faith in Christ this was a way for them to honor God 
not earn his favor. There's a difference in obedience out of adoration for God and out of one to earn his favor. Let me be truthful with you. You you have no power to earn God's favor. Christ has done that for you. It was out of adoration for God, not simply this obligation that they thought they had to do. And the leaders in Jerusalem, the leaders in the Jerusalem council, remember Brett preached on this several weeks ago, talked about this Jerusalem council. They never opposed the continuation of these practices. In fact, James kind of reiterates this there at the end of even to the Gentiles. He says, hey, by the way, we also reminded the Gentiles of what we talked about at the Jerusalem council that, hey, don't, don't eat uh, animal sacrifice, to, uh, animal sacrifice uh, that, that were sacrificed to idols and, and, and stay away from blood and animals that were strangled. And, oh, yeah, and, and sexual immorality, you probably want to stay away from that, too. That's just all around good advice anyway. But James and the leaders there say, we, we got this problem, though, because there are some Jewish leaders that are saying that, are saying that Paul was commanding Jews not to obey, just disregard all of the traditions. Paul never said that. In fact, he, he remember he took a Nazarite vow not too long ago? Paul never said that. But they were saying that it were, he, was, he was teaching that the Jews should just disregard all of those things. And these Judaizers were in opposition to Paul's message of the gospel of grace. And they made up lies about him to poison his message. These Judaizers are not really about God's glory. But they were about their own. Their own self-righteousness. And a step as a step in confronting their lies about Paul, they suggest a compromise for Paul. They tell Paul to join these, these guys who had taken a Nazarite vow. They said, go and ceremonially purify yourself and, and go, your, go uh, show them that, that you don't disregard the law and these traditions. Now, I want you to understand this too. This was not a compromise of truth. It wasn't a compromise of Christian liberty. It wasn't. Not at all. After Paul, after all, Paul was a Jew. But what Paul does here is simply humble himself. He humbles himself to this to show the people the glory of God. He humbles him. Paul didn't have to do that. But he thought, man, if I could subject myself to this, and maybe if people will see that it is about God's glory, maybe they will see and come to the truth. See, here's, here's the thing about this. This is what I think we can kind of learn about this, is that the truth is there is always opposition to God's glory. There's always opposition to God's glory. And that is what we're seeing here. Paul, Paul spent his redeemed life for God's glory. And here are these Judaizers in opposition to the truth of God's grace through faith. That is the gospel. The gospel is a message of grace through faith. Salvation comes by grace through faith, not by works. We talked about this almost every Sunday, right? The gospel is a message of salvation by grace through faith and not by works. That is a work of God. 
The problem is, is there's this constant battle for glory. There's a constant battle for glory in this world. That's what the enemy loves, right? The enemy loves to stir up this battle in us. Glory to anyone but God. This is how it all started. This is how it all started. This is how the fall began. Let's take some glory from God. Let's see if we can take some glory from Him. Look at Genesis 3 verse 5. The serpent comes to Adam and Eve in the garden and has this conversation with them. Listen to what he says. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Let me translate that just a little bit. You can have some of God's glory. You can be as glorious as God. I'm going to tell you this because I love you. You cannot. God gives His glory to no other. And it is good that we are about it. So we have to understand this. The first opposition to God's glory that we need to be aware of is, is in our own hearts. The first opposition to glory is in our own hearts. This, is, this was the problem with these Judaizers. There's this battle waging war in their own hearts. We want to be, we want to be looked at as religious and, and all of these things. Because, because of our, our fallen nature, we long for self-righteous glory. This is what we see in these Judaizers. They, they long for self-righteous glory. And they want to veil it into being religious. Here's the thing. Because of our fallen nature and we long for our for self-righteous glory, it manifests itself in pride and arrogance. And it's often disguised as piety or religious acts. But how does that work out? How does that work out? When we seek to glorify ourselves in our jobs or our status or our money, or our kids, or our stuff, or even in our worship. Worship. It's never enough. And we always wind up miserable. We wind up miserable. So much of the world says, hey, just follow your heart. Follow your heart. Well, here's what the Bible says about that, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Your heart is sick unless Jesus comes and changes it. We cannot, cannot be naive to think that our, our hearts are not prone to seek our own glory. Honestly, think about that. Our hearts are always prone to seek our own glory. And it's a war that we battle every day and we have to remind ourselves day after day after day after day that our hearts are sick and we need the changing goodness of God's glory through the gospel to work in them. You guys like the hymn, Come Thou Fount? It's one of my favorites. I love that song. There's a verse in there that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. 
prone to leave the God I love. But I love what it says next. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Man, if I, <laughs> that just rings true in my mind of going, God, my heart is prone to seek my own glory. I need you to take it. I need you to do something with it and seal it for your glory, not my own. We have to be careful in addressing that there is a battle for God's glory, first and foremost in our own hearts. Here's the second thing. The other truth is that when we are living lives that glorify God, there will always be opposition from others. That's what we see here in Paul, right? This is, this is the life of Christ, first and foremost, right? Life of Christ. Jesus prays that God, Father, may I glorify you. John 17, he prays that God, may I glorify you and, and these believers, that they would glorify me and that you would be glorified in that. Paul knows this and he spends his redeemed life just laboring and facing opposition from other people for the glory of God? Look at what happens to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 28. We've read this before, but I think it's worth reading again. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship. See where he's at now? Danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, listen to this, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Christian, we should be naive, should not be naive to think that when we are living lives glorifying to God, that opposition will not come. In fact, we should be worried when it doesn't. Because what that means is maybe, just maybe, we're not necessarily living lives glorifying to God. So often there is this subconscious misconception that, that when a believer comes to faith and begins to live a life for God's glory, it's all daisies and rainbows and cotton candy. And when opposition comes, we're shocked. Like, where did this come from? Like, have you read the book? <laughs> it comes. It's coming. <laughs> we're shocked. Jesus talks about this. He talks about this. Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 22. He says, behold, this is Jesus talking to his disciples here, and he's this thing is a message to us as well. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. You know how dangerous that is? Your food. <laughs> wolves eat sheep. That's what they do. 
He says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So, so be wise as serpents. Be, be, be smart, be clever, but also be innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts, and they will flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. That's the power of God's glory working through believers. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But listen, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Sometimes I wonder. Sometimes I wonder what would happen if even a fraction of that came here. Would we trust in God's glory? Would we trust in God's glory or what He tells us here? That I know your goodness and your glory of what you promised me for all eternity is greater than any persecution that I could happen here. And that you will equip me to live for your glory. That I will stand in the face of my accusers and in the face of hardship and I will proclaim the glory of God. Here's what I think about that. What transformation could God do through that? Not just our own political agenda, but what if we stood up and go, oh, my heart breaks for you. Those that are in opposition to this, and we stand up, and we say, my heart breaks for you. Because you don't know the glory of God through Christ Jesus. What if, what if that happened? Do we think about, man, if we would just... Just hold fast and trust in the glory of God that he would work in and through his believers. The thing is, church, this, this, this world is broken and it's fallen. <laughs> and we, we would do really good to come to terms with that, to know that, and be real about that. This world is fallen. If we are believers in Christ, then, then this is not our home. It's not our home. There's an old song that I used to sing when I was a little kid. Of, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Anybody know that one? Just a couple folks. How true that song is. This world is not our home. I'm not going to sing it for you, praise God. I'm not sure that would be too glorifying to God, but share that with you. This is not our home. We're foreigners, and we have a homecoming to the eternal, unhindered glory of God. Are our eyes fixed on that? Christian, are your eyes fixed on that? Honestly. I mean, do we think about that daily? It's like, yeah, I'm going to go and make much of Jesus today. And whatever hardship comes, I know that it is a light and momentary affliction because I have a promise of being in the unhindered glory of God. And are we living in that? 
Here's the thing. It's worth living for God's glory because any counterfeit, temporary glory we may get in this world pales in comparison to the unhindered glory that we experience for all eternity through Christ Jesus. Paul knew this. And we would do well to comprehend this as well. Philippians 1, verse 20 and 21. I'm almost done. He says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What if our, when our feet hit the floor in the morning, that was our battle cry? For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain can they do? What can they do? So let me give you some practical ways that we can glorify God. We glorify God in our worship of Him. This means that we sing songs glorifying to Him. It means that we stop and we ponder the words that we sing. And we we become overwhelmed with those things. That's why I love that we're, our church family roadmap is worship of God through song this month. This is why I don't, I don't have a very great voice. This is why Mark's never asked me to be on a worship team. And it's by God's grace that he's been kind enough to not ask me. But here's the thing. We should lift our voices to the King of Kings. Because I think in that, we experience God's glory when we do that. We, we sing songs that are glorifying to Him, and it's good for us. I and mean, also, think about our prayer life. We pray prayers that speak of His goodness and glory. You ever just prayed a prayer of glory to God? You ever just do that? Not ask Him for anything, but just praise Him? We open our Bibles and we seek to see the beauty of Christ, the beauty of God in the Word. That's worship there. Here's another way that we glorify God when we share the gospel. You want a great way to, to glorify God? Share the gospel. Best way that you can glorify God. Share the gospel. Share the gospel. Here's the thing. When we do this, He is glorified. And when people respond in faith, He saves. And in that, He is glorified. Right? It's just this perpetual thing. We share the gospel. God's glorified. People, God saves through the sharing of the gospel. And He is glorified. They go and share the gospel. He is glorified. People believe God is glorified. It's like this perpetual glory of God thing here. We are to be about the gospel. And here's the third one. We glorify God in our obedience. And I think this is what we see here. That's why Paul says, yeah, I can go and do this. There's nothing wrong with that. It's obedience. We glorify God in our obedience. And oftentimes, it's not easy, right? 
We don't want to be obedient. Anybody rebel against authority? There's a couple of us. Let me do a test here. Anybody went over the speed limit this past week? You have rebelled against authority. Let's go, right? We don't like that, but here's the thing. God's authority is, is amazing and great and all good for us. And here's the thing. When we trust in ourselves and in the world or in others, it leaves us wanting. We have to submit to God's obedience. It doesn't mean that, that it is easy by worldly standards, but it is joyful. It's joyful. It means that we are real about our sin and we repent of that. We glorify God in our obedience. And we glorify, here's number four, we glorify God in our trust in Him. There are so many things in this world that are wanting you to put your hope and trust in those things. They will leave you empty. We glorify God. When, we, when our world is falling apart, and everything else is whispering in our ear, just trust in this, or go and do this, or follow your heart, or crawl into this bottle, or slip into this depression, or turn to that sin. It will leave you empty and wanting. But God is glorified in that when we turn to Him, we lean on His promises. And when we do that, what we are saying is, Lord, there is no other that is trustworthy but you. And here's the last thing. We glorify God by enjoying Him. Here's the thing. I think, man, this is something I just don't think we grasp enough. There's so much of God's good gifts that I enjoy. So many things. Just this morning as we're singing, I reach over and grab my wife's hand. That's a gift. It's such a gift. And as I grabbed her hand, I just thank God for that. That opportunity that I could grab my hand and she grabbed my back. It's, it's enjoying the Lord of what He's ordained. A hug from a friend. Dave Walker, dude gives the best hugs, man. He does. Every Sunday, he's like, seeks me out and just wraps me up. That is a gift from God. These kiddos that I can hear, I love that. I love it. You know why? It's a gift from God. We should enjoy those things. The beautiful day that we have out here, it's a gift from God. We're going to go enjoy a good meal, most of us. Lunch today, it's a gift from God, we enjoy these things. I think so often we think of like, we just don't enjoy God. It's immaculate creation and talk about these things. And here's the thing, I think we can make such things an idol and we can worship those things. But when like grabbing my wife's hand and I grab that, I'm going, man, this is only but you, Lord. You did this. Praise God for you that you did this. Because if it's not up to me, I mess this up. It's a gift from God. How often do we not deny ourselves of just enjoying the goodness of God? Think about it. We meet in a, a middle school cafeteria 
We've done this for four years. That's incredible. Incredible. I don't know if you guys think about that. That's incredible. We should enjoy this. And here in just a few moments, we're going we're gonna to have folks get up here and grab instruments and make a joyful noise. And we get to lift our voices and we get to sing to God. And my prayer is that we would enjoy God in that moment. I love what John Piper says about this, about enjoying God. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. I'm going to close with just one question. How are you intentionally glorifying God with your life? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, how are you intentionally glorifying God with your life? If you are not a Christian, I ask you this, why are you not? God is opened His arms to you. He has given you all things. He's beckoning you and calling you to come and to trust in Him and see and experience and enjoy His glory. Why are you settling for less? My plea with you is turn See your sin, but also see the glory of Jesus. Just be enveloped in that glory and live for that glory. The glory of God automatically requires a life of humility from every redeemed believer. And what that means is that we are no longer the most important person to us. But Christ is. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the grace that you have given us, the mercy that you've shown us, and the hope that you've given us in the gospel. Father, I ask that you would allow us to, to just even in this last song that we sing, Lord, would you allow us just to be enveloped in your glory? And may we trust in you. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name that we pray.